0: This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. My life, my responsibility. Don't we love the word responsibility? Woo! Responsibility. What is it? The state or fact of being accountable or to blame. Yeah. Didn't get a bunch of amens in that. That's awesome. The state or fact of being accountable or to blame for something, a thing that is required to do as part of a job, a role, or an obligation. How many of you, because of the roles in your life, have various responsibilities? Of course, we all do, right? Many times it's many, many responsibilities. So many responsibilities, we're losing track. And we're trying, I was talking to Aunt Barbara this morning, talking about being over the ministry school and the graduation next week and all that. She's like, I've got so much to do. I've, I've just got this list because I can't keep up. And that's all we can do sometimes. Because there's so many responsibilities. And hopefully we get to a place where we grow in that and we become more and more responsible. And we do things like make lists, right? How many of you have to make a list? You have to make a list because you'll lose track of what all you've got to get done, right? I got my little reminder to set in my phone that, man, they just I gotta set them to go off to remind me. I get an alarm, right? Responsibility, so what is taking personal responsibility? Quick recap of last week, acknowledging that you are solely responsible for the choices in your life. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) Nobody today wants to be responsible for anything, and so what we do, what we find is that people either commit to absolutely nothing, or blame somebody else for everything that goes wrong, right? Is that not the culture we live in today? And does that not spill over a little bit into our own lives sometimes? And it's tempting to play the blame game and make excuses. Part of growing and taking responsibility, part of growing is taking personal responsibility for ourselves. Remember we talked about how from the moment we're born as infants, we start and start growing. Part of that growth is personal responsibility. Hopefully we start going to the bathroom by ourselves eventually. Hopefully we start cleaning our own room. Hopefully we start doing our own homework. And that's what we as parents are here for. We're the coaches, right? We're coaching them in personal responsibility so they can be successful in life. So how do we take personal responsibility for ourselves? That's what I was just saying. By eliminating blame and by eliminating excuses. When we talked about how personal responsibility is really, it's really the bedrock of our faith. It's the foundation of our relationships. Without it, there's no growth. And really it has a huge impact on even God's promises in our life. It's all about personal responsibility. And this was the plan from the very beginning. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were given certain expectations, right? And they were expected to follow those expectations and they were responsible for them. And you suffer the consequences, good or bad, right? God expects us to take responsibility for our own lives. We talked about In 2 Thessalonians, it says, if you don't work, you don't what? You don't eat. I saw saw a thing back months ago. Did did any of y'all see that story? It made the news. They interviewed this guy who was a surfer in Florida. Didn't work one minute of any given day. He received welfare, lived in his car on the beach, surfed each day, and used his welfare check to go and get a bite to eat each day what does that teach us? What does that teach in our children? The Bible says if we don't work, we don't eat, right? God, He said in 1 Timothy 5.8, those who don't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Point being, we can't evade personal responsibility when it comes to our walk with God. And I gave you last week, I want to run through these real quick, I give you four points. Four thoughts regarding our spiritual responsibility. The first thing was to remember that God has done everything that he's going to do. And we've got to remember that we're not working toward a victory. We're coming from a victory. Where was the victory? At the cross. A successful Christian is not one seeking victory, but rather enforcing the victory that was won and purchased at Calvary. And sometimes we're victors walking with a victim mentality. On the cross, Jesus said three words. What did he say? It is finished. At that point, Jesus' mission was complete. What was his mission? His mission was to bridge the gap, to take our sin and our shame, to take it to the grave, paying the price for it, so he could restore us back to the Father, right? So we're grafted back into the family of God. And Jesus said, it is finished. My mission is complete. I'm done. He grafted us back into the family, made us heirs of the kingdom and recipients of God's grace and of his promises. When he said, it is finished, he did it all. And really, that's the gospel. That's the good news. So everything that God was ever going to do for us, he did at the cross, and everything after that is our responsibility. Second point I gave you was, we're not waiting on God, God is waiting on us. Everything in God's kingdom is about action. Everything is about getting up and moving. When we're sitting still, we're missing the point. Peter, if you remember, we talked about that, about when Jesus comes walking on the water, Peter cries out to Jesus and said, Lord, invite me to come to walk on the water. Jesus like, Peter's like, I want to do that. I would have done that too. I want to walk on the water too. So what did Jesus say? One word. He said, come. At that point, Jesus enabled, he enabled Peter to walk on the water, didn't he? Peter had everything he needed. When Jesus said, come, Peter had everything he needed to walk on the water, except for one thing, he had to take action. If he didn't get up, it wasn't going to happen, right? The ability to walk on the water was his, but he couldn't sit there and keep waiting on God. He had to get up out of the boat, and he had to do something with what God had given him. God is waiting for us to say yes to his way, yes to his plan, so that he can use us to do all that he's called us to do. We read from Psalm 31, how abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. The good things of God, and we're talking about God's promises, they're stored up for us, and they're stored up until we are in a position to receive them. Does that make sense? And the only way we get into that position is by seeking God And his will for our life. Everything in God, everything in the kingdom is about taking action and doing something. The third point I gave you was our growth, our growth in God is our pursuit, not God's. Well, I'm just not growing. Heard people, you got people, and and please don't anybody take offense, but I, I think people who go to a different church every year. Well, I just wasn't growing at that church. Well, I just wasn't receiving. Our growth is our responsibility. Not God's, not the pastors, not the churches. Our growth in God, our spiritual growth is our responsibility. And it said in Colossians 4.12 it said that you may become mature Christians and fulfill God's will for you. What is God's will for us? Romans 8.29, from the very beginning God decided that those who came to him would be like his, should be like his son. We're supposed to be like Jesus. God's not going to make us like Jesus. We have to choose to pursue being like Jesus in our life. We talked about how you can hire a physical trainer. You, we've all been at the point, hopefully, before we've gone like, you know what, i got to do something about my body. <laughs> you ever been there? It's like, i got to do something. I'm sluggish. I'm tired all the time. i got to get up and move. And so maybe you hire a physical trainer. That physical trainer can, hopefully, they're very knowledgeable, and hopefully they can point you in the right direction. They can show you where you need to be, and they can give you the steps to get there. But we've got to do the work. If not, it's just a waste of money, Right? God has done everything he's going to do, and he's equipped us with everything we need in order to be successful. We've got to understand that growing in God is not automatic, and it's not God's responsibility. It's our responsibility, and it takes effort. And the last thing I gave you I closed with last week was, if we love him, we will pursue him. And this is the kind of the clincher to it all. When Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And guys, that's, man, that's a tough word. Because we get so wrapped up in the busyness of life sometimes, right? But he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That means if we're surrendered to him, if he's truly Lord of our life, we're going to keep his commands. Now, Paul goes on, and actually I mentioned that this morning from Philippians. He said, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul went hard after God. And all the things that the world found status in and found joy in and satisfaction in, he counted it as loss and called it rubbish that he could follow Jesus. And it says that he, uh, for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and then we talked about in verse 12 down a couple scriptures he says I'm not saying that I have this all together that I've made it but I'm well on my way reaching out for Christ who so wondrously reached out for me and that's what I closed with last week talking about how most of us in this room would probably call ourselves Christians but what is it who is it that we're truly living for what is the pursuit of our life what consumes our thoughts and our actions if we really love him and our lives are surrendered to him then we're going to find that we're pursuing him which brings me to what I want to continue on for a few minutes this morning. And again, in your, in your uh, service guide, you should have had a note sheet. You can follow along there if you want. We also, uh, on the, on the UVersion Bible app, you can follow along on there too. The notes are already in there, and you can follow along there as well. But I want to talk for just a few minutes, um, and I, I'll tell you, I had a hard time reining this in um, this week. It's been on my mind for, for actually months, and I, I really worked with Seeking the Lord on, on making this clear and concise, and I pray that's the, the way it comes across. But I want to talk for a few minutes about my responsibility when it comes to God's promises in my life. My responsibility when it comes to God's promises. And let me kind of slow down here just a little bit. Guys, I grew up, I grew up in the Spirit-filled church, okay? I mean, I, I remember my parents got saved really in the Baptist church, and we ended up, we were... Um, I guess my dad got filled with the Spirit in United Pentecostal Church, and um, we were in a Word of Faith church for years, and then Charismatic, and which kind of brings us full circle in the kind of the modern-day Spirit-filled church. Um, let me tell you, one thing I know for a fact is in the Spirit-filled church, we love to talk about the promises of God, don't we? We love to claim them and confess them in Jesus' name, Right? I started listing the things. All things work together for my good in the name of Jesus. He will never leave me or forsake me. God will grant the desires of my heart. He will finish the work he started in me. Right? He promises me peace and joy and strength and rest. The devil has no right in my life. He has to flee. Prosperity is mine. Health and healing are mine. Right? Right? Are these statements accurate? See, everybody, that's one of the points where the person at the podium, the pastor's talking, and everybody's like, I don't know what answer he's looking for. (laughs) You don't want to be the one to be like, yes. Um, Are these statements accurate? Yes and no. As blanket statements? Hmm. That's tough. Yes, they are based in biblical truth. But as blanket statements alone, are they the absolute truth in my life? In the Spirit-filled church, like I say, I remember, and understand, I'm not speaking out against anybody. I remember when, we really, my family really got on track with God in the Spirit-filled movement. We were in the Word of Faith. We were in a Word of Faith church. And, and I still love that church and that family and that pastor to this day. They're, they're great folks. But I know, I, I remember in some of the extreme sects, sects of the Word of Faith movement, there was this whole idea that if you can name it and you can claim it, then it's yours. Right? Send Just send some money. <laughs> Whoa! (laughs) Yes. Anyway, (laughs) if you can name it and you can claim it, then it's yours. Is that an accurate statement? As a blanket statement, ah, it's based in biblical truth, but as a blanket statement, it's out of context. I remember, well, actually, let me say this. My thought on that whole idea, that if you can name it and you claim it, then it's yours, my whole thought is, the problem is it it kind of contributes to the self-entitled mindset of our society. I'm a child of the king, hallelujah. Well, yes, you are. So what, you're entitled to this and this and this and this? Look, I understand the whole idea. I get it. But I think that we get to a place where we have to watch our heart a little bit in the midst of it all, because it can really lead to arrogance. I think sometimes what we end up doing is we end up bringing God down to our level, forgetting who he is and the fact that he is sovereign and he is omnipotent and that he does things in his way and his time based on his word and who he is. See, for example, I remember uh, back years ago when I was a young adult, there was a teaching going around that you can hold God to his promises. I get the idea. I understand the thought. But I found myself praying with people who were believing for something. Will you pray with me, brother? Yeah, I'll pray with you. And they they had this prayer need. Well, that's God's promise. God, you promised. You promised this in your word. You said it. So I hold you to it in Jesus' name. What, like Like he doesn't want to do it? Like he's not going to? Like I don't trust him? Does that make sense? How arrogant is that? The thought that there's words that I can say that can speed God up a little bit in his plan and get him to move a little bit faster. You know what I'm saying? The arrogance of my heart in the midst of that, even though I was going with what I felt I knew and what what the Bible said, but it was kind of incomplete, out of context. We have responsibility when it comes to seeing the manifestation of God's promises in our lives, and I want to expound on that for a few minutes. I'm going to give you three thoughts today. Like I say, you can follow along in your notes. I'm going to give you three thoughts on responsibility in regards to God's promises in our life. Okay, three things I want you to think about. Number one, number one. God doesn't withhold good from His children. God doesn't withhold good. This whole idea, God is not waiting to bless us or to prosper us or to heal us based on how we did today. That's not, we're missing the entire point if that's what we think. God's holding back. Oh, they didn't do, I was was gonna, I was gonna grant their prayer today, but I'm not now. Did you hear that word that came out of their mouth? (sighs) God's not sitting there holding back on all that's good. This is what we believe, and we're looking at things wrong. And really, the problem with this too that I saw in some of the extreme parts of the Word of Faith movement is it leads people to think they're not good enough. Well, I don't see my prayer answered, and I saw that person's, and I stood, and I followed the formula, and I named it, and I claimed it, and I confessed it, and I believed it, and I didn't see it, and all of a sudden, people have got this attitude toward God like he failed them or that they're not good enough, and that's completely wrong. It's not true. Sorry, I just got a text from my dad. Every tongue that rises up against me shall be shown to be... Okay, great. (laughs) Amen. I don't know if he's watching somewhere. Anyway. um, God isn't waiting to pour out good unto us. Remember, everything that God was going to do, he did at the cross. And everything after that is our responsibility. So from the cross onward... God's promises are available to us, and they are ours. They were poured out at Calvary and continue to be poured out for us to receive and to walk in. God is not withholding, okay? Everybody understand that? Even when we're not seeing the manifestation of God's promises in our life, the idea that God is withholding them from us is contrary to the message of the finished work of the cross, with this mindset, we're really diminishing what Jesus did. We just read in Psalm 31, 19, how abundant are the good things you've stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all and those who take refuge. The good things of God are poured out. They're stored up and they're poured out for the point where we're in a position to receive them. And the only way to get in that position is seeking God and His will for our life. Everything in God's kingdom is about action. Taking action and doing something. So let me say it this way. If you as a follower of Jesus, if you find that you are stressed out and you can't get peace, rest assured that God is not withholding peace from you. Does this make sense? Get, I, I want you to understand, this is a good thing. I know it can kind of cause more questions in some ways, but God is not withholding. He's not going, I'm, I'm not giving it to him yet. I'm not giving it to him. It's not like that. He poured it out at the cross. What we have to do, our responsibility, is to figure out how to get into a position in which to receive what he's pouring out unto us. So that's number one. God does not withhold good from his children. Number two, and this is where I want to spend a little more time. I want to spend a few minutes here. Most of God's promises are conditional. And let me give a little disclaimer. I put in the word most of in case I'm wrong. Because we could talk and dispute uh, a few different things. But from the way I see it, really, all of God's promises are conditional. As followers of Jesus, we have been grafted back into the family of God. And we have come into a great inheritance. However, there are generally in Scripture, there are requirements for receiving. Now, if we look in the Bible at God's promises, usually they are stated as if-then statements. You heard of an if-then statement? If this, then that. It's really the core of computer logic. Actually, everything we do really is based on if-then statements. But computer logic, for instance, how many of you have ever used a word processor like Microsoft Word or Works or Pages or WordPerfect or something like that before? You've typed a letter, resume, whatever else. Now, when you have finished a complete thought in a paragraph, or whatever else, and you want to start a new one, you do what's called a hard line break, right? Hard line break to the next line to start a new thought, a new paragraph, new stanza, whatever it is. How do you do a hard line break? You press the return button. On the computer these days, it's enter. (laughs) Sorry, old days on typewriter, whoa. You press that enter button, right? Now how does your computer know when you press enter to do a hard line break? Some programmer wrote an if-then statement into the program. If the user depresses the enter enter button, then do a hard line break. It follows that code when you press the enter button, and it goes down. It's a conditional statement. If this, then that, right? It's computer logic. Now, look, God's promises are laws, but most of them are based on if-then statements, and really, I got thinking about this. Think about this. Really, it's the if condition that makes the promise possible. Does that make sense? It's the if condition that makes the promise possible. So I'm going to give you examples. And originally, I had like four pages of examples. And I've cut them way back. Don't worry. My wife's like, please don't bore them out of their gourd. Anyway, um, for example, Isaiah 119 from the Lexham English Bible says, If you are willing and obedient... Then you shall eat the good of the land. What's the promise? You shall eat the good of the land. But what's the condition? If you are willing and obedient. Guys, this is all over Scripture. All over the place. I'll give you another one. Exodus 19, 5, and 6. Now, if you obey me and keep my command, then you will be my special, own special treasure from among the peoples of the earth. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. Sounds pretty awesome, but what's the condition? If you obey me and keep my command, right? All right, so let me bring it to a few more, a little more familiar scriptures. Some of those we'd like to claim. What about Romans eight twenty eight? And we know that God calls all things to work together for my good, period. There's no period. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose, what it was his purpose, next verse, God knew his people in advance and chose them to become like his son. So we could say, if we love God, live according to his purpose to be like Jesus, then all things work together for our good. Does that make sense? Let me give you more. Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land, feed on his faithfulness, delight yourself in the Lord. And then he shall give you what? We love, I know a lot of people and had that script and that memorized. He shall give me the desires of my heart. But don't know this whole beginning part. <laughs> if you trust in the Lord, if you do good works, if you dwell and live in him and his faithfulness, if the life you live and the decisions you make show that you delight in him, he shall give you the desires of your heart. Philippians 4, 6 Jerry said it this morning. Some versions say, don't be anxious for anything. The new living says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for what He's done. Then you will experience God's peace. So we will experience God's peace if we choose not to worry. We instead choose to pray. We share our needs with God. We thank Him for what He's already done. Then we find that we walk in peace. James 4, 7 the devil has to flee. Well, <laughs> submit to God. <laughs> resist the devil, and he will flee. But well, submit me. Humble ourselves before him. His way not our way, right? Choose God's way. Resist the devil. How do we resist the devil? Um, Ephesians 6:11 says, "Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy, right? You see the responsibility? You see what I'm saying here? There's requirements. James 4 8. You want to get closer to the Lord? Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. But we don't look at this next little part. It actually goes on. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Well, that sounds terrible. But really, what it's just talking about is stop finding joy and satisfaction. In yourself and the things the world does. Instead, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. See the requirements? How about our giving? In Luke 6, give and you will receive, right? And actually, we see in 2 Corinthians it says, He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. You see the conditions on things? And it actually goes on. We see in the parable of the talents that he expects us to be good stewards of what he placed in our hands, right? And let me tell you, it's very important that we're good stewards because we're commanded in Proverbs 13, It says, a good man leaves an inheritance, not just to his children, but to his children's children. I'll tell you what, if you're going to leave an inheritance to your children's children, you better be a good steward of your money, right? I didn't inherit billion like the Kardashians or whoever. You know what I'm saying? I don't think most of us did. we got to be good stewards of what God has given us. John 14, Jesus said, Most surely I say to you, He who believes in me, if you believe in me, the works that I do, he will also do. Psalm 91.1, those who live in the shelter of the most high. Some versions, as I said this morning, refer to it as in the presence of God. We'll find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Everything's an if-then. What about salvation? Oh, brother, God poured out his love unconditionally. Well, Jesus did come and he died unconditionally. He poured out his love in that moment. But have you know, we got a little part to play in that. There, there is a little if in there to receiving salvation. Salvation comes when we willingly submit ourselves to God, right? And he always respects our choice, the choice of our heart. He never forces anyone to turn to him. We must willingly call on God. So Revelation twenty-two, seventeen. 17, Jesus said, those who are thirsty, let them come. We have the responsibility to come to him ourselves, Right? Romans 10, 13, whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. We have the responsibility to call out to him, to cry out to him with our life, right? Acts 2:38, Peter said, change your life, turn to God, and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so your sins are forgiven. Do You see the if-then here? If you change your life, if you turn to God and are baptized, then you will be forgiven. Romans 10, 9 tells us if we confess with our mouth and believe our heart, then we will be saved, right? Revelation 3.20 says, Jesus is standing at the door knocking. If you open the door, then he will come in. 1 John nine says, If we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive. It says, If we forgive others, then we too will be forgiven. John 15, 4, the word, it tells us if we remain in Christ, then he will remain in us. Have I made the point? Okay, good. How quickly we put off our responsibility on God. And we say, God, you promised, you promised, but we're not doing anything ourselves. Doesn't it kind of look like our culture today? Many times we're expecting God to do his part, and we're completely unwilling to do ours, or we would rather remain oblivious to the fact that we have any responsibility to play it in the first place. You know, I was sharing a little bit of this on the men's trip, and I was talking about how all the physical ailments and issues and sicknesses I went through for so long in my physical body. And God just convicted me, and I realized that I had a part to play in that. You know, I was joking a little bit last week about when I said sometimes we pray for healing and we have to stop for a break in the middle of to take a bite of our Krispy Kreme and our soda. (laughs) God, help me, help me. You know, heal me. But how many of you know there's truth in it? Again, I'm not saying, man, I love a good Krispy Kreme, especially when them hot ones, when they just come off the little thing, and they're like rolling real slow, and you're waiting on it, and you're like, that one's mine. And it comes... (laughs) That's some good stuff right there. But you, you guys know what I'm saying, though. Last time I checked, the Bible tells us that our bodies are his temple and that our bodies are a living sacrifice before God. And how in the world is God going to use us? if Man, if, if we don't take care of ourselves, and we're all run down, right? And I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not coming down to anybody for, you know, what you do or don't do as far as your body goes. I'm just saying that there's a part to play. There was a a man, some of you have heard this before, I don't know if I've ever said it on Sunday morning, but there was a man years ago that was part of our church, and I knew him because he came in for counseling, and I I knew what was going on in his family. I knew that he was just barely providing for his family, he was offered opportunities for promotion and stuff, but he didn't want to take them because he didn't want the added responsibility. And his his family was just struggling, just barely making ends meet when there was another way, there were things he could have done. And I know for a fact, his marriage was falling apart. That's one reason they met with us. And part of the reason was, his wife said, and he agreed. When he got home from work each day, he felt like he was entitled to sit down and relax. And that's what he did. From the moment he got home, he sat in his recliner, and he expected dinner to be brought to him in his recliner. And he didn't contribute to the children or anything else in the home. And he fell asleep in front of the TV, usually finished off a bag of chips each night as he lay there. And he woke up each morning, showered, went back to work, and came back home to his recliner every night. Barely making ends meet. Marriage falling apart, kids going off the deep end. And then on one Sunday morning, he comes up and asks me to pray with him because he just found out that he had diabetes. But brother, please pray for me because I know that God is the healer and that he wants to heal. I'm sitting here thinking, bro, you're not in any kind of position. You're asking, uh, I mean, coming to us for counsel on his marriage and not doing anything about it. Coming for counsel about how to provide better better family, but not doing anything about it. Not in a position to receive not going to have a good marriage, still going to have issues with the family, with the children, not going to prosper, not going to find health and healing. You understand what I'm saying? There comes a point where we've got to take responsibility and we've got to do what God's Word says to do in order to get into a position to receive the promises of God in our life. Each of God's promises carries with responsibility the responsibility to be obedient and to be faithful. With every promise of blessing, there comes responsibility and requirements. And look, the point I've been trying to make is I don't believe that when we're not faithful and obedient, I don't believe that God's penalizing us. He's, I don't believe he's, you know we get a little sad face like in, you know, like in elementary school. It's just we're not in a position to receive because we're not doing what God's Word says. We're not walking it out. Um, for example, another example I thought of, say that you're young, you're 16, 17 years old, and you have a loved one that passes away. And an attorney comes to visit and says, Hey, I know your, your aunt passed away, but I want you to know she left you an inheritance of $100,000. There's a silver lining. Thank you, Jesus. However, you can't touch it till you're 21. Now, how many know the 17, 18 year old, that's gonna make you mad? <laughs> 100 grand, that's a whole lot of money. And 21 years old is an eternity away. But how many of you know? For the next couple of years, there's nothing you can say and do to get hold of that money. Is it still yours? It's still yours, absolutely yours. But by law, you can't touch it until you get to a certain place, until you're in the position to receive. Which in this case just happens to be 21 years old. I mentioned this to Sean, and she said, "Well, you saying that people can't receive God's promises until they're spiritually mature?" Again, one of those blanket statements. <clears throat> Not necessarily. I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that. However, I would say that I believe that the longer we walk with the Lord and the more spiritually mature we become, the more we should walk in God's promises. Does that make sense? Because we're walking more and more in alignment with his word and his will, and we find ourselves in a position to receive, and his promises are being poured out. Does that make sense? So that was number two. Number two, most of God's promises are conditional. And the last point I want to make, number three, we don't chase God's promises. They should follow us. And that's one of the things I found in the Spirit Church. People love to spend over half their prayer time, half their time with the Lord, just believing and praying and interceding for God's promises to be fulfilled in their life. Well, maybe if I confess enough, maybe if I claim it enough, I'll walk in the promises of God. Or maybe if I pray hard enough and consistently enough, maybe I'll walk in God's promises. Well, let me ask you firstly, how do you pray for something that's already yours? Look, I understand that there's a place of contending and a a place of standing in the gap and believing for what God has said. I I understand that. But where is the place where we stop praying over and over again for something that God already says is ours, and we stop and say, "Lord, what it is that I need to do? I want to be a little more like Jesus. Where do I need to grow?" And we get into His Word, and we begin to do what His Word says. For instance, I knew somebody years ago, sweet lady, but every time I would pray around her, and we, we would have intercessory prayer back years ago, she would start for the first five, ten minutes praying, "Come, Lord, come, Lord, come, 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 Lord, come, Holy Spirit, come, come," and she'd pray, "Come." I, I, thousand times come lord open the heavens and come lord open a portal and come come lord come last i checked he already came last i checked the heavens are open does that make sense I understand that sometimes there's some things we need to push through and we've got to break through and we have to contend, okay? I, I completely get that. But do you all get the point of what I'm saying here? The formula to walking in God's promises is doing what his word says. It's walking with him and trusting him no matter what our eyes see, allowing him to lead us and guide us to that place where we can receive. See, when we're walking according to God's word, when we put our trust in him, that we don't have to spend a lot of time praying for his promises. Really, what will happen is, we'll find that we're walking in them more and more as we grow in them. Does that make sense? We were never meant to chase after God's promises. In reality, if we're growing in God, they should be chasing after us. I believe that in many ways, the promises of God are part of that good fruit that Jesus talked about that, that people would see. People should be coming up to us as believers and going, why do you have the best marriage I've ever seen? Why are you so full of integrity? Why are you, you know what what I'm saying? They should see these things. They should see good fruit and they should see God's promises coming forth. Why are you always blessed? Why are you always at peace? Really, in many ways, God's promises is the fruit of our life we should be walking in. It should be following us everywhere that we go. We can't be one-sided in our relationship with God. We can't continue in a place where we expect a handout that requires no responsibility. Where is the place that we get to where, you know, we choose that we're going to quit making excuses for where we're at in life and we're going to stop blaming others our past and our mistakes and everything's like that I'm going to choose to take responsibility for where we are God is a God God is a God of fresh starts and you know I understand that we've all been through different situations your past may be bad and People may have done terrible things to you. You may feel like you never had a chance in the world growing up to be successful. But we've got to step into what God has given us. God has given us today. He's given us a fresh start, and he's promised that he will make all things new if we submit to him and we surrender our lives to him. We take responsibility for where we are. And we take responsibility for today and for our decisions from this point onward. Does that make sense? God can restore us. We've got to take responsibility for our side of the relationship and stop making it one-sided. Let's bow our heads together. As we conclude, let me ask you, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? It means that we're surrendered to him. That we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. It means that we take responsibility for our past, for our choices, and we repent. It means that the motto of our life, like Jesus, is, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Let me ask you, you're taking responsibility for your life, for where you're at, Or do you find yourself in a place where you're still making excuses and playing the blame game? Do I take responsibility for my walk before God? Do I have a desire to please God with my life? Do I take responsibility for my failings? Does it hurt my heart? Am I quick to repent and to get back on track with God again rather than Staying down and out in that place. We got to get to the place where we go where he says we're to go and we do what he says we're gonna do. We keep his commandments and live according to his word the best we can every day. We pursue them and we move forward in Jesus' name. We follow Jesus' example. Do we act and respond the way He would act and respond? Do we live a selfless life of dedication to Him? And really, this process, this should be obvious in our lives. Do your co-workers, do those people around you in your everyday life, do they know that you're a follower of Jesus? Do they know that you have forsaken the things of the world and that He's first and foremost? If you can't answer yes to that, then... I encourage you to take just a moment today and make a decision to get your life right with the Lord in Jesus name if that's you and you would say you know what I need to do a little better job of taking responsibility for my spiritual walk I need to do a little better responsibility when it comes to even seeing God's promises in my life. I need to take responsibility. Who would say that today? I need to take responsibility in my life. Yes, who else? Who else? That's seven, who else would say I need to take responsibility? Yeah. I just encourage you as you pray, you may already be a believer and that's okay. Just position your heart in a place where you're really dedicating it to Him and saying, God, I'm, I thank you for a fresh day and a fresh start, and I'm, I'm taking advantage of that today. From this day forward, I'm gonna do my best to live for you. I'm gonna serve you. I'm gonna take responsibility for my life and where I'm at and where I'm going in you in Jesus' name. Maybe you're here and you find out, you realize you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus. Hey, you're in a great spot right now. Listen, it's not about a prayer. It's about the position of our heart. You've got to surrender your heart before Him and decide that you're no longer going to be the master. You're no no longer going to live for yourself, but that you're going to live for Jesus the best you can from this day forward. That you're going to listen when He speaks, you're going to do what He says, you're going to be quick to listen and obey in Jesus' name, and you're going to allow Him to use you however He wants to. And most of all, that you're going to trust Him. As we pray together, the Bible says if you confess these words and you believe them in your heart and you mean it, you repent, you turn from your ways that are contrary to Him, Bible says you'll be saved. Let's all pray together. Say, dear God, I thank you. I thank you so much for sending your son Jesus. Lord, I'm sorry for the way I have lived my life. I'm sorry for my selfishness. I'm sorry for living one-sided in my relationship with you. Today I give you all. I confess that you are Lord of my life. I believe that you took my sin and shame. You paid the price and you took it to the grave. You restored me back to the Father. I'm heirs to your kingdom, to your grace and your promises. And I choose to step into that role as a son, as a daughter with you today in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, fill me, empower me to be everything that you've called me to be. I will serve you and I will follow you all the days of my life. From this day onward, in Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662 890 One five seven three or toll free at eight six six three eight three eight two seven seven.